Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 1 says, The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah the priest, who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And we discussed last week, as we'll do a quick review, about the fact that this would be about a 17-year-old man who's going to start prophesying. And one of the things that the Lord's going to promise him in the first chapter and throughout the book of Jeremiah is that he's going to be protected. Now, protection did not mean immunity from persecution because we know that he's going to endure very severe hardships. Imagine taking a message to people for over four decades and having them reject you for it and having them hate you for it. And so it's not a surprise today that when we bring the, God's word to people that they might reject it. Rod sent an article to Clay and I today, and I looked at a little bit, about the city of Palm Springs, who voted to be involved in a program which gives universal basic income to individuals who are transgender. Because they face discrimination in the workplace is the logic so therefore, as the program starts, uh, possible $200 a month, and then the plan is over the next couple of years, possible up to $900 a month of this universal basic income. And society looks at that and it says, this is a wonderful thing, this is a good thing. But we must remember that God's commands do not change, they do not waver. No matter what society tells us what is right, the Lord defines what is right in his sight. And the same thing that the people are going to be accused of that we we'll read in chapter 1. Of turning away from this true and living God and following false idols. And you can recall specific examples in the Old Testament of those sacrificing their children to Molech, for example. And other examples of the people doing the same exact thing about 3,000 years ago. So again, man does not change. Man's plans often go against the will of God, but God does not change. And no matter what highs and lows man goes through, the Lord is going to be consistent in his will and in his message, and we should take comfort in that. And we should expect that we're going to get pushed back and let us put ourselves in the shoes of Jeremiah and what he's going to go through, as we'll talk a little bit about tonight. Before we begin class, Bob, could you release a word of prayer, please? I'm sorry, Bob Blades. Amen. Thank you, Bob. So up here you see a timeline of the Old Testament prophets. And we talked about Jeremiah following Isaiah, and that's why we're doing that study. We talk about the prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, who are defined as the major prophets. And of course, that does not take away from the work or the message of those who are considered minor prophets. It has to do with the length of their worth primarily. And we see the contemporaries. And one of the things that I want you to see is how the Lord continually tries to communicate to his people through various ways and various people, including when the Babylonian captivity takes place. There's going to be those who are prophesied to that remain in Judah. And those who are prophesied to in Babylonian captivity. That there was prophecy given to 
the northern tribes who are going to fall by the hand of Assyria at the same time that the southern tribes are also going to be prophesied to as well. In other words, the Lord continually gives his people an opportunity to turn and to do what's right. Then, and you recognize this if you took any type of Western Civ class or world history class, you, you recognize the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, you think of modern day Iraq, you think of the Babylonian Empire, and the Bible traces through all the different empires that are going to come and go. And of course we see that in Jeremiah. As we studied a lot about the book of Isaiah, the Lord is going to use these various kings and kingdoms to punish his people with the intent that his people would turn. But also because that's his nature. He has to punish sin. But he's also going to hold the nations accountable that he uses the instruments of this punishment. And you see the path that's there. Because I want you to imagine that you're taken from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. And how far this journey would have been. And you know, we can see, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight, how far this journey certainly would have been. And I want you to consider the travel at the time and the logistics. So for example, when we see Ezra leading people back in one of the returns, I want you to imagine people of all groups and ages returning. And we know this because, for example, we know earlier, when the foundation was laid to rebuild the temple, there were different reactions from people who remembered it and people who was brand new to it. So just consider this in, in this world and this distance that exists. And the various Babylonian campaigns. And we're going to see tonight in the first chapter where one of the prophecies is coming from the north. And you might say, well, how does it come from the north when Babylon is almost directly east to Jerusalem? Well, because the path that they would take, as you can see, you went north and then back down south. So once again, the Bible is simply talking about things that are factually true, and skeptics jump to conclusions when they don't know what they're talking about. And so there's just an illustration of that. So when it says they came from the north, they did come from the north. Just like it says in the first chapter. How long was the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem? And how long was... Oh, okay, I repeat the question. I meant to put a second question in. What I meant to put for the second question is how long did it take to make this journey? So as we talked about, for Ezra it was about 900 miles. And I want you to make this... Imagine making this journey with the elderly, with children... How many of you have taken small children for a car ride for a distance? How fun is that sometimes? How difficult is it for people to move who are elderly sometimes? So this journey, in their case, it took about four months. Obviously, an army can move much faster. We know in the book of Isaiah that the armies of Assyria moved very rapidly. We know that the armies of Babylon are going to move very rapidly. We know that God's people and some of these kings that we're going to talk about in an effort to avoid punishment are going to be foolish and try to make various alliances like with Egypt who is going to rule over Judah and then is going to fall to Babylon. And because again, you're not going to defeat the plans of God. So again, just keep this in mind as we talk about this captivity that's going to be prophesied by Jeremiah and fulfilled in his time. 
And then again, the chronological books, as you can see, and the northern prophecies, the southern prophecies, four nations. I'm not going to go through this entire chart. But again, as we could reference uh, various places like 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, and we'll do that a little bit tonight as I go through this list that I want to cover. And we talked about Jeremiah being called the weeping prophet. And imagine the sadness he faced in his life because he has to reveal messages that are not going to be popular. And sometimes he even is going to question God. And again, is this a pattern we find sometimes with his servants? We saw the comparison, as you can see in Exodus, of Moses using excuses not wanting to do his work. Bill brought that up last week. We see the questioning by, let's say, someone of Abraham trying to intercede for the destruction of Sodom. So this is not unusual. And the Lord is going to provide an answer. And he expects his people to accept the answer. And even though some of these people question, they do receive the answer. And we brought the point last week that this young Jeremiah who starts prophesying, you think of a 17-year-old Joseph who is taken and sold into slavery by his brothers. You think of a young David who fought against Goliath and the faith that he had and how he was laughed at for the way he prepared for battle because he knew the Lord was on his side and he knew he was going to be successful and he was going to win. So as we talked about, it says in chapter 1, this name Hilkiah, it says in verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest. Now notice what else it says. Who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. And you could read all sorts of stuff and speculate. And I mentioned this a little bit last week about who this Hilkiah was. Uh, some would suggest that it is the son of the high priest talked about in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And we're going to look at that in a moment just again because of another interesting point. Some would argue that it's not because of this definition of the land of Benjamin. And this Anathoth, which we're going to talk about a little bit more next week, I put together a bunch of material because we're going to try to divide it up a little bit so we don't just do it all in one night, was about three to five miles north of Jerusalem. So in other words, one of the uh, types of thought is, well, why would the high priest not live in Jerusalem if the responsibility were to serve in the temple? Because, as you know, uh, three to five miles may not be a big deal to us, but if you had to travel there, it would be quite taxing at that time. And Clay and I talked about this passage, so it, it, it bears repeating because remember, we mentioned Josiah in verse 2, the son of Ammon, and it mentions him as the king. That's when Jeremiah is going to start his work. As we said, it even defines what year it was in his reign. What does it say in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 2? What, what year is this that Josiah is ruling? In the 13th year, that's right. Now let's take a look at this Hilkiah, and I'll let you draw your own conclusion. I'm not going to try to persuade you one way or the other. But 2 Chronicles chapter 34, because it's still remarkable about what's going on here. And we're not going to read the entire account, but if you look at uh, chapter 34, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned at 31 years in Jerusalem. And as we just said in Jeremiah uh, Chapter 2, what year was it again that he began prophesying Jeremiah during the reign of Josiah? Thirteenth year. Which would mean how many years would Josiah have left to reign? 
uh, 18 years, right? And so we take a look at that, and there's something that remarkable that happens here. Let's take a look at verses 14 through 19. 2 Chronicles chapter four, uh, 34, verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shabbapan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphapan. So Shaphapan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they found, have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphapan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And then it goes on to talk about Hilkiah. And you know that, is Josiah in general going to be considered to be a good king or a bad king? A good king. And you read later on in the chapter about him restoring true worship. And of course, part of that would be using God's authority to restore uh, true worship. So a very interesting thing. Now, now you take a look back at verse 8. Chapter 34, verse 8. It says, in the what year? In the 18th year of his reign. So at this point, was Jeremiah prophesying? He was. He'd been prophesying for about five years. But there's no connection mentioned between this Hilkiah and the prophet Jeremiah. Now again, that doesn't mean it's not so, but we're not forced to any conclusion either way. But that's still significant because that means that when this book was found, Jeremiah was also prophesied at the same time. In other words, they had access when they found it to what had already been recorded from God. But he's also going to give them instruction about what was going to take place later on. And we know that Josiah was a good king, but did the people totally turn from their ways, even under his reforms? We know not. And do you remember which king was mentioned as being responsible for leading the people in the wrong direction and having a long-term effect? That would be Manasseh. So if you go back to Manasseh, and again, we're going to cover this a little bit this week, a little bit in the future week, because I don't want to overwhelm and not get into the chapter at all. Okay, And so we talked about how Josiah, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, and the fact that don't be confused by the different names because the scriptures tell us the different names. Because what's going to happen is, as the Egyptian and Babylonian rulers reign, they're going to give them a name that's from their society. That it, it, It's like a brand at, at our cattle ranch. That name change is indicating that we own you. And you know that Daniel is going to keep his name. But you think, as we talked about last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are the Babylonian names that are going to be given to them. So we talked about four, at least 41 years, and some say more, prophesying for about 627 to 586, which is going to be the fall of Jerusalem. And we know that's going to be at least five months into that, as we talked about later. We, we read last week that Jeremiah was ordained or appointed as a prophet. Now, how many have heard the term ordained in some religious context? And when people usually use ordained, what do they mean? They'll say that someone's ordained a priest. Well, who ordained them? 
whatever group they're a part of. But in this case, who appointed or ordained Jeremiah? It says in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So who was responsible for giving him, ordaining him, or appointing him to this responsibility? It was the Lord, which is far different. When man make that claim today, how do we know? What's the verification? What is the corroborating evidence when someone says, I've been ordained to do this? All we could do is people can preach and present the word, and the measurement you can use is whether or not they're being accurate with the truth you have. We know that there was a purpose for it back then. But I just want you to be impressed again that here is someone. Now let's say that this Jeremiah was not from the high priest, Hilkiah. Has the Lord used other people that would not be expected to uh, uh, tell his prophecies and teach his word? Let's go to the New Testament. Uh, the apostles, what were some of their professions? You had, you had fishermen, you had... A tax collector. You had a doctor, a physician, Luke. And, and again, you go through the different, you, you know, we, we talk about uh, some who were fishermen. Uh, James and John of Zebedee. We, we talked about their mom. Bob did a great job of bringing that point up Sunday when I got home. Based on what Bob presented, I started doing a whole lesson on that. Because how were James and John of Zebedee identified as the sons of what? Sons of thunder. And the same woman, Salome, who... Bob mentioned Sunday in class is the one that James and John sent to Jesus to ask for the best seat in the kingdom. <laughs> it's that same woman. And she's there going to the tomb as a witness to verify that the resurrection took place. Again, when he, you know, we could spell night in those facts, but we just start thinking about that type of stuff. It's absolutely remarkable. So we said that Jeremiah was uh, after Isaiah in terms of prophesying around 100 years or so. We talked about being a contemporary of Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And if you, you know where we're going after this, we'll be going into some of those uh, works and books. Jeremiah, about 600 years before Christ. Keeping that in mind, we know that there's going to be 400 years of silence before Jesus comes back and starts to preach uh, in the first century. We talked about the fact he was about 17. And again, this phrase, and I want you to notice... That it's used quite a bit in Jeremiah, where he is told not to be afraid. Did he have reason to be afraid? Well, he's going to go through a lot of difficult experiences. You know, and again, think about what fear could do to us and how it could paralyze us in our faith. But the Lord is continually going to tell him, do not be afraid. And we're going to see that tonight as we go through some of these passages. We talked about the fact, I have put the words in your mouth. So remember that in verse 7 of, of Jeremiah 1, it says, do not say I am a youth. So he's telling Jeremiah, don't make that excuse. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm God. I appointed you, ordained you to this purpose. For you shall go to who? What's it say in verse 7? To all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you what? You shall speak. You want to find a good Bible teacher, a good preacher? Find someone who respects the oracles of God. Find someone who is going to speak. What's commanded doesn't go beyond that. And again, I was just talking about 
between Brother Bob's lesson, uh, between what Clay preached after that, and then Caleb getting up there, read his passage. All three of those individuals relied on the scripture. And, and we should know there's a difference. That's what we could do. You can invest as much time as you want in the scripture. Don't go to commentaries first. Go to the scripture. Look at it for yourself and see what the scripture says. And so here Jeremiah is being said, you're going to go to all. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. If we learn that lesson, that this is the Lord's word, and we're not going to go beyond his commandments, then we will accomplish something here or not. Then it says in verse 8, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand to touch my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now now this is Jeremiah speaking. He's saying the Lord touched his mouth. Can you imagine what that experience must have been like? Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this, uh, I have set this day, I'm sorry. See, I have set this day, this day I set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. To do what? What's it say? To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. So in other words, what has to happen? There has to be a cleansing. There has to be a removal. You ever remove something before you build something? Right? So that's what's going to take place because then look what it says. And then to do what? To build and to plant. And one of the things we're going to see which is interesting here is the fact that they're told they're going to be going to captivity but Jeremiah is going to be told to buy some land that's in Judah. That's going to be there when they return from the exile. So again, a seal from God that he's going to fulfill his promise that the captivity is going to last 70 years and then the exiles are going to return home. And, and again, we're going to get into that uh, in a little bit. Alright, let me make sure I've got everything I, I wanted. Okay, before I continue on with a few things, any comments before we start? Bill. Shane Clay and I had a meeting with, with someone who wasn't right on the marriage, divorce, marriage. And the three of us talked to him. They went to scripture. And do you guys know what he went to? He went to what was written by man. He went to this handout, this packet they printed out, which had all the answers to refute everything we were saying. And we said, put that away. You know, if you can't give us a reason from the Bible, then you can't give us a valid reason. And so that was an interesting experience going to what you're talking about. Now, do you think today in 2022 that people are influenced by this idea of modern-day revelation? Absolutely. And again, you don't have to feel bad. You have every right as disciple of Christ to question when someone claims to be representing God and they're misrepresenting God. So the Catholic Church, the Pope, has revelation changes doctrine. The Mormon Church... Has revelation? Change doctrine. Other groups speak in tongues, get a message, modern day revelation. Where we could demonstrate from the scriptures that modern day revelation doesn't exist anymore. And again, think about Islam, for example. And you could do your own historical study on this. Do you know that whole religion is based on the testimony of one man relayed by another man with no corroborating witnesses? And do you know, by the way, that Islam 
Do they consider Jeremiah having done God's work? They do. They invoke the very same people that we're talking about. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, but they don't do so accurately. So again, when people invoke God's will and they say, this is what God wants, we as Christians have to question it and make sure it's legitimate. Because again, there are a lot of people deceived. And as we saw in Isaiah, and we're going to see here, we have people that can be deceived thinking they're being religious. Thinking they're doing what the Lord wants. When again, in God's view, they're not even close. And, and, and we can't fool ourselves. As Bill said, that can happen to us if we don't have our own faith and we're relying on what other people say. But, and I, and, and I appreciate that point. And again, so as you said, Bob, how can we know whether or not we're growing in our faith? Well, I'll give you a little preview for the next lesson that I'm going to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And what's interesting about chapter 3 is notice that what is demonstrated by the faith of the Thessalonians. Remember how we said they changed? They would have been the very same people that are worshiping idols just like these people are going to follow idols. Now, of course, we know this is going to be the area of Macedonia. But look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your what? Of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your what? By your faith. Now, how could they be comforted by their faith unless they were what? Had to be demonstrated somehow, right? You have to be comforted by something that you can see. There has to be evidence of it. And, and how can we demonstrate our faith? By our what? By our works. By our actions. By the way that we live. And this chapter is full of that. And yet, even though they're growing, and even though, as we talked about in the first chapter, they were examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia. That's chapter 1, verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians. Notice what it says here. Chapter 3, verse 12 and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In other words, were they growing? Absolutely. Could they still grow more? Isn't that our walk to constantly strive to change? And, and again, people want something miraculous to happen that cause them to change. All we have to do is apply God's will and things will change. All we have to do is pray. All we have to do is the works that He instructed. Become the people He designed us to be. Which goes back to what we talked about last week. Where in verse chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I adorned you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was made with a purpose. Did Jeremiah have the choice of not fulfilling that purpose? Absolutely. Do you understand our value when you recognize that the Lord created us with a purpose in mind? Aren't people looking for a purpose in, in life? But unfortunately, the purpose might be to have as much fun or pleasure as I can, to accumulate as much wealth, to focus on worldly things, to be famous and accepted by the world. But again, hopefully we see through spiritual eyes 
And we see what the Lord has promised us with his eternal riches through his son. Yes? Yes. Yeah, that was a pretty good uh, visual illustration. You didn't forget that one, did you? <laughs> and of course, what did early Christians call Christianity and discipleship? Those of the what? The way. Now, what's Matthew chapter 7 talk about? The narrow way versus the broad way. We saw in Isaiah the way. So there is a way. Jesus says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me, John 14, verse 6. So that goes to your point about the way. Now, real quick, because I'm going to jump back in the passage, but I wanted to talk about someone else. Um, how many of you in your study know of the scribe that Jeremiah relied on? Anyone remember, know his name? Baruch. Chapter 36, for example. I think I got the wrong verse here. Let me look. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. That might help. Okay, I had the right chapter. 36, verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. So I want you to remember, again, because remember the scribes we talked about in Jesus' time? <laughs> and they're often mentioned with the Pharisees and the scribes. And we know lawyers are mentioned. And we know that members of the Sanhedrin are mentioned. And the high priest, and all these people who should be the leaders doing what God wants, but instead they're fighting against God's will. And the same accusation is going to be made here in Jeremiah chapter 1. And then it says... In verse 32 of Jeremiah 36, Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. And you know that, Jeremiah 36, the story of uh, Jeremiah's scroll being destroyed. Boy, you talk about gall, destroying God's word. And again, uh, there are people today who do the very same thing with God's word today. They have, they have no respect for the scriptures and for what's being taught. So I just want to mention him as well. I also want to mention, we, know, we talked about chapter 1, verse 10 as a key verse, as we talk about to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. If you take a look at... Chapter 31 of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and verse 33 and 34. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and it waves, its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. So again, the importance of following the commandments and word that the Lord has given, which Baruch had a responsibility of writing down in various scrolls. And because of time, we're not going to go there, but I just want you to consider a couple other things. We know in 2 Kings 23, it talks about the judgment of Judah, which again, Jeremiah is involved in, in talking about. And he probably read about lamentations and no one knows who the author is 
I'll, I'll give you my personal belief on this. I, I do think that Jeremiah was involved. And this piece of evidence, I want to show you something here in 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and in verse 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 25 says, Jeremiah also what? Lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and all the singing women speak of Josiah in their what? Lamentations. They made it a what? Custom in Israel. And indeed, they are written in the laments. In other words, what was the purpose of these lamentations? And we talked about this when we studied the book of Psalms. What was the purpose of chanting or singing these types of things? Why do we sing songs? Well, it's commanded. That's one reason. But what's another reason? To teach. To remind. To edify. To build up. To edify one another. And again, the same thing was done back then with these lamentations. All right, in the last few minutes, let, let me get into Jeremiah 1, verse 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Okay? Verse 12, then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my work. Now, can this method help us in teaching some, someone? So what does the Lord do here? He asks a simple question. What does he say? He uses a visual. And we talked about revelation and such. And what's he asked Jeremiah here? Simple question, right? What do you see? Can we do the same thing with God's scriptures? We can turn to a passage. We know context is important. What, what do you see? You know that series we have in the back? Those four parts? It's all based on the premise of what? Allowing a person to turn to the scriptures and answer simple questions seeing it for themselves. Because it does us no good if we tell a person what's there but they're not seeing it. It's not going to mean anything to them, right? So the Lord asked Jeremiah a simple question. He shows him, as Bill suggested, he shows him this visual, and he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And what does Jeremiah answer? I see a branch of an almond tree. Now, how many did some study about the almond tree? And we can go on for a long time about this, okay? So, there is an almond tree branch. And it says there specifically, I see a branch of an almond tree. Here are almond trees in that portion or area of the world. So, is this something that Jeremiah would have been familiar with? Absolutely. Okay, for those who studied this, what do we know about the almond tree? When does it bloom? Right? And how does it bloom compared to other things? I'll say that again because you're right. First plant area to bloom, right? And, and again, if you want commentary and you know theologians and commentators spend all this time trying to figure out what this says, but let's just look at verse 12 because it gives us some idea. When Jeremiah says, I see a branch of an almond tree, how does the Lord respond? He says what? You have seen well. You have seen well. You have seen clearly, right? Is there importance to seeing things clearly? Well, you probably remember, for example, 
Matthew chapter 7, right? What's it say at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7? Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And what measure you use will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider a plank in your own eye? Or how can you say in your brother, or to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First do what? Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will what? See clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So did Jeremiah see this vision of the olive branch clearly? He did. And then what does the Lord say next? For I am what? I am ready to perform it. Now you might have seen the Hebrew word for almond also is associated with wakeful or, or waking up. In other words, that people hopefully are going to wake up as a result of this. And, and, and did some wake up as a result of the captivity? Not until it's too late, right? But remember, and don't forget, all of the faithful people, the remnant, who were successful growing up in Babylonian captivity. So again, if you're a parent, a grandparent, and things are getting bad, remember that you can still influence your children and grandchildren for good, even if things are really, really bad. Because we see examples of this being done. And as we talked about Jesus dying, going to the cross, and being resurrected, in that time of chaos, in that time of pressure, in that time of persecution, didn't people grow in faith? By numbers and faith, bold and strong, doing what God wanted them to do. That should give us encouragement. It, it, our growth and our faith is not based on the circumstances that surround us. Because we can't control those things. Okay, anything on 11 12? Bill. And, and you know, I kept thinking as, as I was preparing for this, you've probably heard this before, the ABCs of faith. Action based on confidence. How do you know that you have faith? Because you're confident to act on it. So in other words, if you're doing, if your actions are indicating that you're growing, that's a measurement of your faith. So, so, so again, that's the importance of, of measuring that. Okay, verses 13 through 16. And the word of the Lord came to me, what? What's it say there? The second time. Now, have we seen the Lord do this before with his prophets? Right? Do you think part of it is allowing this young Jeremiah to process things? You know? <laughs> Again, and we can learn about evangelism and teaching others. If in one study we try to give them everything that's in the Bible, <laughs> you'd be overwhelmed. And sometimes we forget what the priority should be. Which again, is the fact that we're in sin and we need to that, that's, that's the basic problem we have to deal with. And then he says, what again, in verse 13? What do you what? What do you see? So this is the second time. And I said, so, so imagine Jeremiah speaking this in the first person now. I said, I see a what? A boiling pot. You also read cauldron. And it is a facing away from what? From the north. Now you might be reading this as, I don't know what he's talking about. But then read on. Verse 14, then the Lord said to me, out of the what? North, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdom of the north, says the Lord. They shall come 
And each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have what? Forsaken me, burned what? Incense to other gods, and worship the works of what? Their own hands. Does that thing, does that go on today? All these years later. Now, again, you could get caught up in, well, and again, I think the explanation is simple. So there's this debate back and forth, well, who are the kings of the north? Well, we know one's going to be Babylon, right? Who comes before Babylon? Egypt in that area. So it's, 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 it, it, it says kingdoms, doesn't it? It gives us commentary right there. And people will get caught up on this. And we know what's going to be fulfilled here. And so we know, and, and it was on that map, and now I'm going to stop. If you go back to this map earlier on, there's a key battle up here that's going to take place at this area. Okay. Karkamesh, where the Babylonians are going to take care of the Egyptians in that area. And then they're going to march right on down. And of course we know that Nebuchadnezzar's father expanded the, the kingdom. And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to take it to a new level. He's going to be the one who defeats uh, Necho, the Egyptian pharaoh there. And then he's going to pursue, chase the Egyptians all the way down. So in other words, they're moving fast, partly because he's going after another enemy. Two different nations that were used by the Lord to do his work. So I will go faster next week, but we will start there. We'll briefly cover the verses we just read, and then we'll go a little more rapidly. I'm going to hold some of this off to get through the first chapter and like halfway through the second chapter. Appreciate everyone's attention and your comments.